This week we are starting a series on the book of Isaiah. So are you in Isaiah? Open up to Isaiah in your Bibles. I want you to physically locate Isaiah on your phone or tablet or in your Bible. Find Isaiah. It's hiding away in the Old Testament. It's a big book, but you might not be familiar with it. We're going to talk a little bit of kind of an introduction to Isaiah and to the heart of Isaiah this morning. What is Isaiah? What is the book Isaiah? It is a 66 chapter collection. Is it okay if something's 66? Doesn't that kind of give you the heebie-jeebies, you Bible scholars? It is a 66 chapter collection of stuff. Right? You're like, oh, is that okay? It's okay. It's okay. It just happened that way. 66 chapter collection of sermons, prophecies, and a few historical anecdotes and stories. When you read the book of Isaiah, you want to read it more like you would read the Psalms and less like you would read 1st or 2nd Samuel. It does kind of have a historical kind of arc to it, but it's not stories. It's, it's collected sermons, prophecies, and a few stories. It is the second most quoted book by New Testament authors from the Old Testament. Psalms is number one. And Isaiah is number two. So much so that the early church fathers called it the fifth gospel. There's so many clear explanations of Jesus and clear pointings to Jesus and to the gospel that the, the early uh, church fathers said this is, it's like having a fifth gospel here. It was written from 740 B.C. to 680 B.C., Kind of numbers, remember, numbers are kind of going down as we get closer to zero in the B.C. side of things. Why that's significant is that it's, a, it's from six decades of ministry. So Isaiah was, was serving the Lord and serving Israel for 60 years. And so the book of Isaiah is kind of in one sense his uh, greatest hits. Right? These are the ones that his disciples, we know uh, from Isaiah that he had disciples. These are the ones that his disciples kind of were like, oh, those are the, these are the best ones. And, they, and he put this together uh, for Israel and for us. Who was Isaiah? Isaiah is identified here in chapter 1 as the son of Amos, Not Amos, Amaz. I, I just, I don't know. Every time I read that, it gives me a little <laughs> Amos. Amos, son of Amos, features in 2 Kings 19 to 20, so we know from outside of Isaiah that Isaiah was a historical person. His writings are referenced also in 2 Chronicles. The, the, he, he seems to have been something of a, a court personality in the palace of Jerusalem, something of a kind of a court historian. He was a writer as well as a prophet, an advisor to the king. He's actually quoted also by other Old Testament prophets. So he was a really significant figure in the Old Testament, not just to, because it's big, but because he was influential even on other prophets in the Old Testament. So what is a prophet? Let's talk about that for just a second. What is a prophet? A prophet is somebody who speaks the word of God to God's people. If you're familiar with the Bible, Kind of after the Psalms, which is the really big collection of prayers and songs in the middle of the Bible, as you keep going to the right, it kind of just turns into a, a ton of prophets. And there were writing prophets and there were non-writing prophets. You remember Elijah and Elisha and Nathan? Uh, there's all sorts of different prophets who come to God's people to speak God's word. Now, one of the misconceptions I think a lot of us have about prophets is that they're all basically sort of like crazy-looking hermit people. 
who are just like, you know, eating cold gruel and then like, you know, getting revelations and then scrawling it on the cave wall or whatever. For the most part, 80% of what the prophets did was function like preachers. So what does a preacher do? A preacher tries to artfully take some previous revelation from God's word and explain it and apply it. Say, here's what God said. Here's what this means. And now here's what this means for us in our situation today. So most of what you'll find in the book of Isaiah is not the like (gasps) trance kind of vision stuff, but... Mostly, he's taken Genesis, Deuteronomy, First and Second Samuel, Psalms. He's taken those things, and he's saying, here's what this means about God. Here's what this means about you. Here's what this, how this applies to our situation right now. And then there is about 20% of the <laughs> stuff where he's foreseeing and predicting things that are going to come that are all about Jesus, which is pretty sweet. Prophets were not part of the regular life of Israel. So they, they had priests. We saw this in Leviticus. Levitic, in Leviticus, the priests are appointed to be the teachers of Israel. If you would go into a synagogue on any given Sabbath in Israel in the Old Testament era, you would find a priest up there explaining Scripture and, and telling people what to do. The prophets were people that God raised up at certain acute times for certain special purposes. Prophets were kind of like mushrooms. So... You're walking along in the woods, and, and there, boom, there's this what, a mushroom, right? You always notice it. Why is it there? It's weird. I don't know if I should eat it, right? This is kind of how people interacted with the prophets. They were very noteworthy, but you weren't quite sure whether you wanted to touch it or ingest it. In fact, we know from Hebrews chapter 11, in the, what's called the Hall of Faith there, there's a reference to somebody, who, somebody in, the, in the heroes of faith who was sawn in half, According to tradition, that is 80-year-old Isaiah. So not everybody loved the prophets. They were kind of unusual. And, and you know, really, I mean, how do you feel when you run into Isaiah in your, in your annual Bible reading? Right? <laughs> You're kind of like, ah. Oh. Right? The prophets can be a little bit annoying. They're a little bit annoying to you, and all you have to do is read them every once in a while. But imagine what this was like for Israel. 66 chapters worth, 60 years of preaching and teaching. It can be a little bit annoying. And there, he's annoying because why? Because God's love tends to bother people who are in bad places. You know, imagine an unfaithful spouse or, or a drug addict. And how much do they love hearing from you saying, I love you, come back to me. I love you, come back to me. I love you, come back to me. The, the stuff that you're doing is not going to take you where you think it's going to take you. It's not going to end well. Here's the statistics. Here's how the story's going to go. Don't put your hope in those things. It's not going to work out. You've got to come back. You've got to come back, right? You be, Enough! Enough! Now do that for 60 years and 66 chapters worth of... This is what Isaiah is. Right? They don't want to hear it. That don't matter. God is not going to quit. We're going to talk about why in just a second. God is not going to quit on his people. And that is why there were prophets. There were prophets 
right? Why do the prophets exist? So, so often we encounter the prophets in Scripture or people who don't read the Bible much think of the prophets as being mean. They're mean. They're bad. They're always like ragging on people. The prophets exist because God wants to save his people from their idolatry and their wickedness, their injustice and their folly. The prophets exist as 250 chapters of Scripture because God loves his people. That is why they exist. Though, as we saw even just from the opening verses of Isaiah, though we deserve punishment, God sends us chapter after chapter after chapter, decade after decade after decade, prophet after prophet after prophet. Though we deserve punishment, God sends us the prophets so that we might be saved. God's heart is always for forgiveness, restoration, and blessing. That is always God's heart for undeserved, completely gracious forgiveness, restoration, and blessing. So this is why the prophets exist. Now let's get into some Isaiah-specific stuff. Why does Isaiah specifically exist? And there's a couple kind of negative ways to look at this and a couple positive ways to look at this. Isaiah exists... At from, from 740 B.C. to 680 B.C. because faith is hard. So God is writing to his people to say, hey, come on, keep believing. Don't lose faith in me. Faith is hard. It is hard to wait on the Lord. And this is a major emphasis in Isaiah. Some of our favorite verses from Isaiah, Isaiah 40, 31, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Remember that verse? It's, it's probably monogrammed somewhere in your house on some, something hanging on some wall, right? It's a great verse. Wait on the Lord. One of my favorite verses, Isaiah 64, 4. Eye has not seen nor ear has heard nor has ever entered into the mind of anybody a God like this who works for those who wait for him. In Isaiah 25, 9, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him and he has come and saved us. So much of Isaiah is God just saying, just wait, wait, wait. That's hard. That is hard. We see the clock going like this. We see the sun going like that. We think, I can't wait much longer. Faith is hard. <clears throat> so Isaiah exists. Every chapter of it exists to say, wait, wait for the Lord. Faith is hard, but on the other hand, then the world looks easy, doesn't it? The world looks nice and easy. Idols and what they offer us is right now opportunities to take control of what we want. Idols, the culture, right? The culture just says, just, just why do you have to always be so difficult? Just come on. Just stop fighting. Just go with us. Just jump in. Get on your inner tube and just jump in and we'll take you where we're going and it'll be all right. And then there's also the sort of politically expedient maneuvers that we all make. Right? Maybe just, hey, when we go over there today, don't bring this up. Right? Maybe today at work, why, why do you always have to say that? Right? Just, just shh, 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 shh. make it easy on you. 
Let's just make it easy on you. The world's way promises to be easy. And this is something that Israel struggled with from its very inception. Right? God led Israel out of Egypt in 1500 B.C., so about 800 years before Isaiah. God leads Israel out of Egypt. They go from Egypt to the Promised Land. They get into the Promised Land, and almost the first thing they begin doing is they start adding local gods to their self-help program. Because, of course, the, I mean, they, they saw what Yahweh did in Egypt. They know that God is great. They know that he's good. But, I mean, are you telling me that Baal couldn't help a little bit? I mean, we're in Baal's territory now, right? And I know God doesn't want us to have other gods. He wants to be, you know, the Lord. He'll be, uh, what's the first commandment? Uh, he'll have no other gods before me. Right? We know that he wants to be. And of course, every God does. I would, if, I would, if I were a God, I would want to be the only one. But we've got to be practical, right? You're going to need Baal for business. You're going to need Moloch for your crops. You're going to need Asherah for, you know, your romance or whatever. Like, we're going to need the other gods, About 500 years later, Israel comes to Samuel, who is one of the first prophets in Israel, and they say to him in the words of Scripture, we want a king like all the nations. Give us a king like all the nations. So Israel's struggling with idolatry. They're struggling with wanting to be just like the world. They tell him, we want this king. God says, go ahead and give him a king. And pretty soon, you know what the kings are doing? They're building temples to foreign idols in Israel. They're forging alliances, political and military alliances with foreign nations, marrying foreign, foreign people, right? And you say, well, oh, that's terrible. That's against God's law. And they're saying, well, it's just the stuff that you have to do to get ahead in this world. Right? The, the world makes it easy. And even though, and I want, I want to draw this to your attention as well, in the middle of Isaiah's ministry, while he's saying all this stuff to primarily Judah, this is a maybe technical Bible history, at one point, King David, King Solomon are ruling a united Israel. Then it breaks. And there's the southern couple of tribes and the northern ten tribes. And the northern ten tribes were just like fooey on God and all that stuff. And so God sends prophets to them to warn them it doesn't work. And so in the middle of Isaiah's ministry... Assyria comes and takes the ten northern tribes of Israel away, and they're gone. They disappear from the pages of history forever. They're completely obliterated. And that happens in the middle of what Isaiah is talking about to Judah at Jerusalem. And still, the people of God, they keep going the way they're going. Still, Judah and the kings of Jerusalem keep going the way they're going. So not only is faith hard and the world looks easy and so God writes Isaiah and sends Isaiah to tell him this, but positively, <clears throat> Isaiah exists because God is faithful. God is faithful. Look back with me at Isaiah chapter 1 there. You notice the, an interesting expression in verse 4. You may, probably didn't even notice this. It says that at the very end, it says, They've forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. God is faithful to His Word and to His people, and that is really captured in this expression, the Holy One of Israel. This is a unique expression to Isaiah. It occurs 31 times in the Old Testament, 23 of those times in Isaiah. This is kind of like his phrase. To say something special and unique about God. And what's he saying that's special and unique about God? He's saying that 
God is holy about his covenant. God, the, the majestic, all alone, utterly unique, one who created all things, has attached himself to this ragamuffin group of tribes called Israel. He's made a covenant there. He is the God of Israel. But he is going to be the God of Israel in a holy way. You know what holy means, right? Holy means weird. Holy means utterly, utterly unlike us. When you and I make a contract or a covenant, right, or, hey, we make plans, hey, we're, I'm definitely going to be there. I'm 100% going to be there, weather permitting. Right? There's always some caveat. There's always, I, you know, till death do you part unless I just don't feel it anymore. Right? There's always some sort of escape hatch. But the way that God keeps his covenant is as the Holy One, meaning utterly different than how you and I honor our contracts or keep our covenants. God is holy about his covenant. Here's what that means. It's not even like a guarantee. As soon as he makes the covenant, it's done. It happened. It happened. What happens when God says, let there be something? And there was. Let there be light. And there was light. Let there be human beings. And there was human beings. And God says his covenant to his people, it's done. It's really done. It's all done. His word happens. He's the Holy One of Israel. That's what we mean when we say God is faithful. He belongs to his people. He is going to preserve them and watch over them. And that's what Isaiah is. It is God keeping his covenant with his people. God calling his people back to faith in him. Him being faithful to them through 66 chapters and, and 60 years of ministry of Isaiah. God is being faithful to them. You notice in verse 4 again, it says there at the end, they have forsaken the Lord. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Right, so if a relationship is 50-50, they're doing zero. They are utterly estranged from the Lord. But what is the rest of Isaiah? The rest of Isaiah is the Holy One of Israel holding them, inserting himself into their life with warnings, with comfort, with hope. So let's look at those three messages briefly here, the three kind of big messages of the book of Isaiah. I'm just telling you this to kind of orient you through these 66 chapters. The first big message of Isaiah is judgment. Judgment for idolatry and injustice, both in Judea, in Judah, and also in the nations. It's, it's really interesting, and God wants to kind of make sure that Israel sees this. So Israel's in unjust and practicing idolatry. They're rebelling against God by following the example of these other nations who are idolatrous and unjust and rebelling against God. And so God is promising judgment on them and on the other nations in order to say, listen, why are you following their example? They're going to get judged for what they're doing as well, and you're going to get judged if you follow them. There's just a big mess. So judgment is the first one, which is, again, a kind of a love language. If you keep going the way you're going, this is where it's going to take you. Knock it off and come back to me. The second 
of the three messages is comfort. And it, interestingly, it kind of breaks the book of Isaiah into thirds. First third is primarily judgment-themed. Second third is about comfort. This is written to the future Israelites. So Isaiah is looking at what's happening here. He sees what's happening with Assyria. He sees the growing power of Babylon. He sees what's taking place in, in the palace of Jerusalem. And he's, he prophesies now to future Israelites who are going to be in exile. He already knows that this is coming. So he's prophesying to future Israelites who have been judged and are in exile. And what are they feeling like? They, what are they feeling like in Babylon? They're feeling like we we messed the whole thing up. It's, it's over. It's done. We, lo- we, we were brought out of Egypt into the promised land, and now we lost the promised land. And the temple's been wiped out, and the palace has been wiped out, and there's no more hope for us. And so Isaiah speaks a message of comfort. Comfort, oh my people. Comfort. Reminding them that God is the Holy One of Israel, and He will keep His word to them. So they should continue to be faithful to him. And the last third of Isaiah is a message of hope. Isaiah sees that not only will this group of Israelites be put into exile because of their sin, but he sees that God is going to be faithful to them and bring them back from exile. And so here they come back from exile, and what do they see? They see just weeds. You've got, you got, you got to scrape away the weeds to find the foundation of the temple again. You've got to scrape away the weeds to find the foundation of the walls around the city of Jerusalem. Right? It's all been obliterated. It's all been washed over by the sands of time. And so they, they come back and they think, holy smokes, there's like 60 of us. What are we supposed to do? What is God's plan here? How is there going to be any hope? And so the last third of Isaiah is God, is God saying through Isaiah, yeah, there is no hope here and now, but hope in God. And hope in his Christ, his Messiah, and all that he will do when he comes. That's where your hope should be. So, kind of in summary, the idea of Isaiah here is that though God's people may be unfaithful, anxious, discouraged, they are powerfully loved by their God in it all in their sin, in their distress, and in their depression. They're powerfully loved by God. And that is a message that they needed to hear and we all need to hear. Because think about this with me for just a moment. When you are bad, when you misbehave, or when you, when you feel bad, you feel sad or discouraged, that experience feels like you have left the love of God or you are leaving it. Right? When you are bad, you feel like, how could God love me? When you feel sad and, and you feel like God doesn't love me. And Isaiah's message to them at each step of the way is, there's no way out of leaving this God's steadfast love. He is the Holy One with His love. He is the Holy One with His covenant. And so the message from God to Israel is that if you're unfaithful, if you're anxious, if you're discouraged, God is still with you, He still wants you, and He is still working in your life. God is with you, God wants you, and He is working in your life.
The last reason that Isaiah exists, though faith is hard and the world's way looks easy, but because God is so faithful, faith, even though it's hard, is the best. Faith is the best. And the final third of Isaiah is all about how God is going to put things right. Would you turn with me to Isaiah 65, verse 17? Isaiah 65, verse 17. And this is the one passage I picked out of several that I just stumbled upon as I glanced through the last chapters of Isaiah. And listen to this message of hope. Isaiah 65, 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. And no more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who doesn't fill out his days. For the young man shall die at a hundred and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall, be, shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they're yet speaking, I will hear. And the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. The wicked are going to be punished, and all the promises of God are going to be yes. That's what Isaiah is about. That's why it exists, to convince the people of God that though faith is hard, faith is the best. And that is ultimately the objective of the entire book of Isaiah. The aim of this entire book is to renew faith in the faithful God. To renew faith in the faithful God. And so you can probably already begin to see a little bit how Isaiah will be very important for us to walk through as a church today. So on the one hand, we look at Isaiah and we think, well, that's in the Old Testament, right? We are here. We're here, and praise God that we're here. Like, we get to see God's faithfulness in Jesus. We know the whole story of the gospel. We know that all of the faith of God's people was rewarded, that God came through for His Word and kept His covenant and delivered all the promises in Christ. And so we can stand here today, and as we go through the book of Isaiah, every week you and I should be filled with joy and gratitude. That God has done this. He has kept his word. And we get to see, we get to meet Jesus in the fifth gospel from a very different perspective. Not of people who are, who are meeting him and excavating him, but be people who are longing for him. And we get to enter into their longing. And we get to long with them for Christ afresh. So we're here, but I think also, as we've seen, the people to whom Isaiah was written, the people who were waiting there to receive the gospel, are people just like you and me. Just like us. Right? Because they struggled with idolatry and injustice. We struggle with idolatry and injustice. Right? 
Every single one of us in here struggles with idolatry and injustice. And we need to hear what God thinks about that and how it makes him feel. And Isaiah is going to tell us. We also struggle with trusting God. One of, one of those powerful passages in Isaiah comes to a head in Isaiah 40, verse 27. Why do you say, O Israel, my way is hidden from God and my right is disregarded by my God? When's the last time you said that? Was it this week or was it just today already? Right? Why God? Are you, do you not, are you not keeping track of me? You're not protecting me. You're not watching over me. And I'm not getting what I deserve. This isn't right. It's hard to trust God. Right? So, so often he's like, God, what are you doing? And when is this going to change? This is what Isaiah's congregation is struggling with. And it's what we struggle with. And we also struggle with feeling small. When you think about the, the journey of Israel described by Isaiah, they go from being in a place of power and control over their kingdom, doing pretty well financially, prospering in many ways, to being in exile, and then coming back and finding all of their previous hopes and expectations utterly destroyed. And I think this is a journey that the American church is taking as well. Right, once upon a time, long ago and far away, we enjoyed a place of cultural uh, majority. We were, we were insiders in the kingdom of Israel. Right? To be a good Christian, you felt like it was to be a good American. We were insiders in this kingdom. And now more and more we're feeling like we're becoming outsiders. Like we're becoming outsiders of the kingdom. We're becoming exiles here. We don't belong anymore. And a lot of us are feeling a great amount of anxiety about this. And Isaiah says, first of all, to those in the first third of Isaiah who like being inside the kingdom, he says, do you like being inside the kingdom of this world and being like the other nations? God's judgment is coming upon them. Hope in God. And he says to those in the second half of Isaiah, you're worried about being put out of the world's kingdom? It's okay. Take comfort. Hope in God. And not in the kingdoms of this world. Put your faith in the faithful God. So I'm excited to get into the book of Isaiah with you. Isaiah contains wisdom. It contains comfort and hope that we need to walk by faith today as well. Now, before we wrap up, I just want to tell you kind of what to expect from this series and also some things that you can begin to do to make this whole experience more enjoyable and more powerful for you. So first of all, normally when I preach an Old Testament book, I only preach about 10 or 12 sermons from them. But Isaiah is 66 chapters long, and because it has so much in it about Jesus... I'm going to be preaching a little bit more. We're not going to be going 66 sermons into it, but I'll be preaching about 20 sermons from Isaiah. We're going to do about 10, and then we're going to take a break for Advent when we'll be back in one of the Psalms for uh, four or five weeks. Then we'll pick up in Isaiah again. And then when we get to Lent, so approaching Easter in 2022, we're going to slow way down and just spend time in Isaiah 53. 
one of the most beautiful chapters in the entire Bible describing the one who is to come, the suffering servant, who's going to take all the sins of God's people on himself and give them all the righteousness of God. It's this beautiful and extraordinary prediction about Christ. So we're going to spend some time in Isaiah 53. Now, because this is a big book and because it's a prophet and probably you're already dreading this experience, let me make a few suggestions to uh, help you get into it. First of all, pray. Ask the Lord to give you an open heart and open eyes. As the psalmist prays, Lord, open my eyes to behold wonderful things from your word and unite my heart within me to fear you. So make that your prayer as you, when you go to read Isaiah or when you come to church on Sunday, make that your prayer. Open my eyes, unite my heart within me. Secondly, I would like to encourage you to read Isaiah two times. Read it once on this side of December and Christmas and once in the new year as well. So you, so you kind of cover and touch all the places in Isaiah that we're not going to cover and touch. Thirdly, memorize some key verses in Isaiah. Every week I'll have a recommendation for something to memorize. This week, Isaiah chapter 1, verses 8 to 10. Next week we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 1. So Isaiah chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. I knew there was an 8 and a 0 in there. 18 to 20. And then lastly and leastly, uh, on this Sunday, Saturday or Sunday, read the text that we're going to be talking about together on Sunday morning. So whatever the, the reading for the week is, uh, re- read that text Saturday sometime or Sunday morning. If you're not on our weekly email list, uh, let me know your email or email through the church website. Give me that email and ask to be put on there and I'll get you our weekly midweek devotional and service preview email. All right. That's it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today as your people in the name of Jesus and yet also very much in positions like what Israel was in. Struggling with our hearts, struggling with idols in our lives, struggling with with unjust and sinful practices, struggling with foolishness and foolish desires. And some of us are struggling with anxieties. We feel fragile. We feel, we feel like things are scarce and we're anxious about trusting you and waiting for you to keep your word. And some of us are just in a place that feels like we're approaching decimation. We just feel obliterated in our spirit and depressed and discouraged and utterly at a loss. Lord, help us to see Isaiah as a whole and to look at Scripture in its entirety and realize that what this is is you saying to us, that you love us, and that you are with us, that you want us, you desire to be in our lives, and you desire us to be with you, and that you are at work and you want to work. And Lord, would you help us to open our eyes to see this, and would you open our hearts to receive this good news even today as we begin this journey together? Would you please bless this word and let it dwell in us richly? In Jesus' name, amen.